Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 331 with Jocelyn Herman Saccio. Jocelyn shares what it takes to make things work, whether that's a relationship with folks at the workplace or just a team or a collaboration trying to get the stuff flowing and functional so you're producing results. So you'll learn one, what most people get wrong about communication, two, the dangers of scapegoating, and three, how to get productive outcomes out of your team. So if you want to take a look at the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, you'll find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F331. Now here's Jocelyn's story. Jocelyn Herman Saccio is a communication expert for Landmark, a personal and professional growth training and development company that's had more than 2.4 million people use its programs to cause breakthroughs in their personal lives as well as in their communities, generating more than 100,000 community projects around the world. The Landmark Forum, Landmark's flagship program, people there cause breakthroughs in their performance, communication, relationships, and overall satisfaction and work and life. Thanks to Jocelyn for sharing some time with us and thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. Here is Jocelyn. Jocelyn, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Well, I think we've got a lot of great stuff to dig into, but uh, first and foremost, I need to hear about your experience as a pop star in the 90s. <laughs> that is like 10 lifetimes ago, but it was a dream come true. It really was. I had always wanted to be a singer since I was four. So to be able to accomplish it and travel around the world as a pop star was literally pinch me every day. Well, that's cool. So what, what were you saying? What, were, what was the story? What was I singing? Yeah. Yeah, um, it was. I was in a group called Boy Crazy with a K, and uh, we were kind of like the new kids on the block, but the female version mm -hmm. or a precursor to the Spice Girls. They were modeled after us, actually. And um, so we were singing pure pop. It was definitely bubblegum pop all the way down. But we had a number one record in 1993, so that was definitely an accomplishment. And what was the name of the record and, and the hit track? And could you sing maybe one line for us? Of course. <laughs> it was called That's What Love Can Do. And as soon as I start singing, people go, oh, I know that song. But it went, that's what love can do. I don't want to break your heart in two. Like that. So, you know. It's one of those songs that was the most played song on the radio of 1993. Oh, congratulations. Well, well that's what's so fun, uh, among many things, uh, about you is that you have a wide array of, of experiences. Uh, in your IMDb profile was, was illuminating as a producer, a manager, a casting director, a nonprofit founder, a wife and mother of three, and some animals in there, too. Well, how do you do it all? Yes. Well, I have it all. I don't do it all. There is a distinction because if you want to have it all, you got to have a great team of people around you and you got to have people that are willing to support you in having that kind of life. And I do both in my business, my nonprofit, my neighborhood endeavors, my family, everybody works as a team and as a community and we get it done as a, as a unit, not as individuals. Mm, excellent. Well, uh, and so Maybe you could start us off by, by giving it just a little bit of perspective for how have you gone about thinking about who you have chosen to to bring into the circle and, and to and to partner with? Well, whoever I end up in work at my company or 
you know, to work with me and my nonprofit, they're always like-minded people, people who want to make a difference, people who want to fulfill on people's dreams. So it's pretty easy to have people operating as a team if what you're up to is big enough. You know, if you're only up to something at an individual level, you don't really need a team. But like right now, I'm dealing with something with my family where my mother fell and broke her pelvis and she's 87. And so as a family, we've, you know, gotten together and we're covering all the different shifts at the rehab and helping my dad and from my 12-year-old son to my 22-year-old daughter and my 16-year-old son and my husband and my sister and her husband and her children. And we're all just as a family taking on whatever needs to get done. So there's never any holes. That's great. That's great. Well, you do a lot of work with uh, Landmark. So could you orient yeah. those who are, who are unfamiliar with the organization or, or, or the Landmark Forum in particular? What's it all about? Well, Landmark's a, like a global organization that really works to support people and empower people and enable people in fulfilling on what matters to them. So we're like a coaching company. So people do our seminars or our programs and we provide high-performance coaching for people who want to have an extraordinary life, not just go through life, but actually accomplish their dreams and make a big difference in whatever area that turns them on and lights them up and inspires them. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, I remember going to the Landmark Forum when I was in college and it was, it was pretty cool. It was a powerful experience for me. So I appreciate what, what you do and what you're up to. And I remember the, uh, the forum leaders were, were kind of like, oh, <laughs> you know, at the time. So, and here we are just chatting. <laughs> That's right. Just human beings. I know it seems like, oh my God, do they go to the bathroom? Do they eat? I don't know. But yes, we do. And, uh, you know, we have real lives and we're real people. And, you know, the difference is we've spent years mastering those distinctions that you get in the Landmark Forum or the rest of the curriculum for living. And the, those distinctions are designed to produce the kind of human being who can be with anyone at any time, under any circumstance, and have power, freedom, self-expression, and peace of mind. So that's not too bad. Yeah, I, I remember a couple of them, and, and hopefully others have just sort of taken root, and even if I can't conscientiously summon them. But I remember we did this one exercise, and it was, there was some, it was intense. I remember we did this one exercise, and all we did was we, we stood very close, maybe like a foot away from another person and just staring at them in the face and looking at their eyes. And it was, it was powerful. It's like, there's nothing to be like afraid of or intimidated about. We're, we're just two human beings and in space nearby each other right now, but no one does that. So it was, it was really noteworthy in terms of the effect it had. Yeah. That's the be with, um, exercise. That's in, yeah. That's in the advanced course, which is, I think one of the most uh, profound opportunities to actually discover what it's like to just be with people without all the stories or the fear or the joy we add to being with people. And it's, it's really, you know, something that you can practice with all people, you know, because we don't do it, as you said. So, you know, go home with the person that you live with and just actually just be with them without having to fill the space with talking. I mean, that might not work on the radio or in a podcast, <laughs> but, <you> know, <laughs> but um, as you go to actually be with people, it is it's quite remarkable because you can see yourself in all people and distance between you and people and all that fear and all that story and all that kind of whatever stops us from being with people fully gets disappeared in that exercise and, and people get a real experience of being someone beyond their individual thingness. Very cool. Well, so you've got a, a few areas of, of expertise and, and I'd like to, to dig into a few. And, and so can you tell us 
how can we be uh, supermen or superwomen without experiencing a whole lot of stress all the time? Well, I mean, it really is the context is decisive, you know, because, and I don't know if you've ever heard that term before, but some people have, some people haven't. But if I hold my finger up and I say, okay, the context is body part, what's right there is what? A finger. Exactly. And if I say now the context is number, <laughs> what's right there One is a one. And if I say, right, what's the context is now direction, it might be up. So it's not that the content of your life is giving you stress. It's the context in which you're viewing it or holding it or experiencing it. So if, you know, the context is, oh my God, I'm overwhelmed, then it doesn't even matter if you even have five things to do or 55 things to do, you're going to experience it inside of that lens. The context is really what decides your experience of life. So I have a lot of content, but it doesn't occur for me as stressful because I'm operating inside of the context of having it all. Okay. That interesting. As opposed to, I got to go do this next thing. Uh. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I also deal with everything in my calendar rather than my head, which helps because you can't actually double book yourself in reality. You only do that when you're using your thoughts as a test for reality. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm with you there. So, so then how does one go about establishing that context that you just say, I'm having it all. And is that all there is to it or, or, or what's done to, to make that context real and cemented and, and take root and effect? Well, one thing is people, the first step that I would recommend people do is get clear about what really matters to you. Like what is the picture of what you really want? not necessarily something connected to your past or what's practical or what's doable based on your credentials, but like, what do you want? And if you can create that picture and actually look at what it looks like, you can see what it looks like, then you can begin to design your actions to fulfill on that versus, you know, be limited to what you think is doable based on your path. So a lot of it has to do with what's your vision for your life, for your family, for your company, whatever you're dealing with. Like for you, with with what you're doing with this podcast, what's your vision for that? Rather than just going through interview, interview because it's in your date book. It's like, okay, but what are you really creating with the messages that you're putting out there in the world for, for your listeners? Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's easy to, I find, to sort of slip in and out of that a bit yeah. in, in terms of I am transforming the experience of work and, and unleashing energy and happiness for, for professionals everywhere versus I got to get this thing out before the, <laughs> you know, the published date. Yeah. And if you aren't in the company, context that you say you're up to for other people, then it's inauthentic. So if you're transforming the experience of work and this is your work, you know, that would be kind of like do as I say, not as I do. Right. Mm -hmm. So keeping that real for yourself, you know, I know in my office, I make sure that the environment is one of team and support and integrity and fun. So if it's not that, that way in my office, I have everything to say about whether I can, you know, bring that to my office. I'm not looking for it from my office. I'm bringing it to my office so that people have that experience when they work with me. That's awesome. Well, any other perspectives in, in terms of, of, of keeping that context real? In terms, you're, you're getting clear on what you want. You are sort of uh, returning to that frequently. Anything else? Yeah, I would definitely keep it written down because the world just kind of happens and your life just kind of happens and you end up, like you said, going in and out of just kind of going through life and living it on the other side of that. And it's easy to fall into that default going through life, getting through this to the next thing, to the next thing. Uh, but the second thing I would recommend is really to brainstorm with other people. Don't try and do it all in, in yourself, in your head. Your thinking is limited 
to your own brain. So borrow other people's brains and, and really look at what your vision is and how can it be accomplished, not just from what you see in your linear vision, but nonlinear about it and actually work with people to get their perspectives and, and ideas for actions that you could take. You don't know what they might see that you don't see. And so when we're borrowing other people's brains, do you have any best practices associated with uh, getting those people to to say yes to the borrowing and, and some of the best questions to surface the perfect wisdom? Well, again, it depends on what you're dealing with. The context is, again, decisive, always. Whatever you're out to accomplish, I mean, you first share your vision. If you don't share your vision, then nobody can contribute to accomplishing it for you. So if you can share it with people and what you see possible if that vision got accomplished, then people can have a space to contribute to you, their ideas and their perspectives and what they see. And all of a sudden your vision is malleable and it's not like a thing that you're going to do. It becomes something that is morphable into something else based on what other people contribute. And maybe it grows, maybe it shifts and you're not stuck with something like an agenda. You're really committed to fulfilling on whatever's possible out of that vision being realized versus the pathway. You know, it's not like fly this airline, fly this airline. It's like, no, I want to go to France. How am I going to get there? So what's your France? Understood. Maybe just throw an example in here. Let's just say that, that someone is looking to get a job they love. You know, they're, they're, they're currently not so pleased with uh, their their current work environment. And they're thinking, what I really want to do is work in a field where I am creative and have an amazing team around me and and that sort of thing. So if they're going about borrowing people's brains, uh, what's that look like and unfold in practice? I would first start by saying, you know, do you know anybody or do you know anybody who knows anybody who's hiring in a creative field? Or, you know, you could say, listen, I don't really know what kind of field I want to go into, but who do you know that I could talk to to brainstorm on what kind of fields are available? So you start to do some recon, but inside of nothing like solid that you're trying to get in. It's not like, oh, let me talk to you right now about getting this job right now. No, it's like, let's have a conversation to explore and discover what might be possible in this industry or that industry. So then all of a sudden you're free to really look rather than driven to make something happen. And that creates a very different kind of conversation with people because they know when you're trying to get something from them and you know, and everything's constrained in those conversations. So it becomes a much more open space to create something than having to force something. Understood. Thank you. Well, we, when you talk about conversations, you know, you're, you're bringing up back all kinds of memories here with uh, with Landmark and, and the conversations that that we engaged in. I'd love to just dig into some of your take when it comes to communication skills, powerful conversations. What are what are most of us humans getting wrong when, when it comes to to doing this in our, our daily lives? Well, I think mostly we react to things. And then we're on automatic and we really aren't creating our responses. We're reacting either from some imaginary threat or maybe a real threat, but most of the threats are imaginary, or we're trying to prove something or produce a result and look good. So that gives us a quality of life that is very distinct from the kind of quality of life when you're actually out here living life and dancing with whatever's happening and just kind of free to be and free to act on whatever matters to you. When people get triggered, I mean, I'll just give an example from my actual life. So it's not conceptual. 
you know, recently I noticed that in my office, I was like not looking forward to going to my office. And that's very odd for me because I love what I do. And it was like, I, I realized it was that the person who was working for me wasn't doing what I expected them to do in the job. And I wasn't pleased with the way it was going. And I was pretending that it was all fine, you know, cause I didn't want to have to deal with hiring somebody new and training them. And that was the truth of the matter. So I was just kind of like, functioning as if this was going to work out. But that was really a lie. I mean, I knew it wasn't working and I was just tolerating, you know, a mediocre work environment, which many of us do. We just kind of survive life. We don't really live it. We survive it and we get through it. So I sat down with her and I said, listen, this is, you know, my inauthentic way of being is that I'm pretending that this is working when it's really not, you know, these things are working, but there's more things that aren't working. And It doesn't seem like this is your future, like this is what you want to do, because the way you're being and acting isn't really working in the job. You're not doing what I hired you to do, you know, and I have to micromanage you. And it's got to be horrible for you to have me on you like that. And it's not working for me either as your boss. And I got into a conversation with her and it became clear that she really wasn't loving what she's doing and she really wanted to do something else. And I said, great, well, what do you want to do? And I asked her what she wanted. And I really brainstormed with her on like, how could we set her up so that she could be doing that? And I could find a replacement with somebody who actually wanted to do this job. And within two weeks, I hired somebody else. She trained them and I got her another job and negotiated her deal. There you go. Yeah, that's a way you can have win-win scenarios in communication. It doesn't have to be like, well, you know, you end things on a bad note. You can really stand for people to have the life of their dreams, even if it's not in your office. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's good. And so now that seems so, it, it seems like, but of course that, that just makes good sense. Like it's not working for you. It's not working for them. So let's uh, change it up and, and, and get it. So it does work, exactly. but in practice, uh, most people, you know, don't quite go there with that level of of honesty and and candor and I don't know vulnerability, all that stuff. So, you know, wh- what do you think gets in the way there? I think looking good, you know, like we're so driven to look good and be the, you know, like, well, I'm the boss and you're the employee and you're doing good, <laughs> so now you got to fix it. And you know, like I don't really look at things that way because I'm more interested in having things work than being right. And I think a lot of people are driven by default to be right make something wrong. And when you can't make something work as a human being, like if you can't make your relationship work, you got to make your partner wrong to justify why it's not working. And if you can't make your office work, you got to make your employees wrong or your boss wrong or the job wrong somehow to justify why you're not really rocking it. And so from my perspective, that's one of the biggest things is when people experience that they have a loss of power in having things work around them or having things thrive around them, the default is to find like a scapegoat of why, like a reason why it's not working. And then you got to be right about that and justified about that. And that's a killer. And forget about work. Just look at our, turn on the news. Look at what's happening. I mean, this is our world. This is what it is to be a human being by default. So it really is like a new kind of person to be somebody who goes, okay, this isn't working. Where am I not being straight or lying about something or pretending something? Like being responsible, like, you know, for how things are not like to blame, but like you have a say in how it goes. You know, this isn't like, oh, this just this person that's just untrainable. And no, it's like this isn't working. There's something we're pretending when it's not really that way. And people do it in personal lives. They do it in business. They do it at the level of society. 
at the level of organization at all levels. Well, yeah, that's, that's really a powerful distinction there associated with being more interested in having things work than being right. And, and I, I like to dig in a little bit in, in terms of, I guess, sometimes when things don't seem like they're working, it feels like an intractable fundamental thing. So let, let's just, let's just go somewhere. So, so right now, you know, we've got uh, a, you know, precious six month old baby. Oh, you know, at home. Uh, Lovely. Oh, thank you. And he's a joy and, and we love him and it's, and it's so swell. But one thing that's not working is us feeling uh, vitalized, energized amidst the, the, the challenges that come when he doesn't sleep so well. So in some ways it's like, hey, yep. what's, what's not working is that it's rare that both of us are, are rested and in a pleasant mood, <laughs> you know, yeah, uh, with I each other. I have three kids. I'm, <laughs> I'm right with you. I've been there and I'm glad I'm over it. Okay. <laughs> right. And so, we're, and, so we're, and we're kind and respectful and not snippy, but, you know, it seems like, you know, some of those, some of those magic moments are hard to come by when, when there's just a sleep deprivation. So now, in some ways, it seems like, hey, that just kind of goes with the territory with, uh, with a youngster. But in another way, it seems like it's not working. So I guess not to overly complicate things, but it seems like at times there are are, are trade-offs or sacrifices or kind of fundamental realities that can result in in non-workingness. But I have a feeling you might you might challenge me here and, and open up something well, bigger. I'm not going to challenge you. I, I mean, I would look at it as supporting you because... I mean, one fundamental thing that we deal with at Landmark is, and this is not just a Landmark thing, it's a life thing, is without integrity, nothing works. And it doesn't matter how great you are, how much you love each other, without integrity, and I don't mean morality, I mean without all the spokes in your wheel, things don't work. You can't win the Tour de France if you don't have the spokes in your wheel. Now, if you have the spokes in your wheel, it doesn't mean you're going to win the Tour de France, but it's required to have a high, an environment that allows for workability and high performance. Sleep is one of those spokes. And when you don't sleep efficiently, whatever that is for you, and everybody has a different number, it does impact your performance in life. And your ability to be extraordinary is impacted if you're not eating or you're not sleeping or whatever those kind of fundamental spokes in your wheel of well-being without integrity you don't have workability and high performance is, is out of sight. You can't, you can't even see it from there. So from the perspective of being a new parent, one of the things you'd have to look at is what is, what does it look like for integrity to be present in your well-being? How many hours for each of you, but it may be different. You got to discover that for yourself because there is no recipe. Like my husband needs six. I need seven for that to be like, well, so we look at how do you do that? When you have a young child that is waking up and validly so. So, you know, there are a lot of actions you could take to accomplish that. You could swap nights so that one night one person gets, you know, less sleep than the other and the other night so that you always have a rested person. Mm -hmm. You could also in, in have make requests of other people like, will you take the baby for this night? Grandmother, grandfather, I don't know what your situation is or a friend you know, where you leave and that person comes in, go swap apartments, go to that other person's house while they take care of the baby for that one night, because one night a week, you restoring that kind of well-being makes a difference for you. It could be a function of naps. It could be normally you would like to go to sleep at midnight because that's what you like, but it really doesn't work. You might have to start going to bed when the baby goes to bed so that you can get those hours in, you know, those two to three hour stunts. Another thing is sleep training, which most people, they have a very specific view on that, but 
you know, my view changed depending on my child, my last <laughs> child. I was finally like, cry your head off. I don't care. And he did. He slept great. He would go to sleep at eight and he'd wake up at seven. I was like, oh my God, I have so much time. You know, but that was not like that with my first child. I was I was up making sure she was breathing with a mirror half the night because your brain goes crazy. And, you know, you're like, oh, my God, she's crying. She made a noise. Let me go. You know, there's all sorts of actions you could take. But I would look at it from a perspective of integrity. And it's not, you know, then you don't have to kind of suffer. You can get what's going to work. It's not, you know, like, oh, my God, I shouldn't be upset about this. No, no, no. You actually need a certain amount of hours, whatever that is. If you don't get it all at once and you get three at a time, then swap, then you got to do that so that you get whatever that six is. So, so the themes here, when you say integrity is just sort of uh, workability in, in your definition here. So it's like we, we've got the, the stuff in play that just needs to, to be there in terms of we, yeah, the, the, the basic ingredients. From, for our, from our perspective, integrity is being whole and complete. And in this case, it has to do with your well-being. In a bicycle wheel analogy, it's all the spokes being there. So if you're not eating all day, that's, you're not, your well-being is not whole and complete. Okay, understood. And so then in this specific yeah. instance, you know, once we you know, got clear on what it takes to be whole and complete, we explored options and some of the breakthrough possibilities are, I guess, considering new angles that, you know, extend beyond maybe constraints we just took for granted. Yeah. And like, I know I can hear everything. I mean, I used to be able to sleep through an elephant stampede, stampede through my room when I was younger. But when I had kids, all of a sudden I hear them breathing literally from like a hundred feet away. I can hear everything. So I had to use earplugs on the nights I would be sleeping because I wouldn't be able to sleep if I heard them. And even though my husband was happy to take the night, I could, it wasn't working because I, so I had to get the earplugs so that I could actually sleep during the time when I had somebody available for me to sleep. Okay. Well, well that's good. Thank you. Well, we went deep on that. Much appreciated. So my pleasure. I mean, listen, without sufficient sleep, you can become like a crazy person. I mean, like literally it is required for you to have well-being. You must get sufficient sleep. And if you get less than sufficient sleep for a couple nights in a row, it catches up with you. Right. I feel you there. Shifting a little bit back to, to the workplace environment, what are your top suggestions for you know, professionals trying to, to get some of these, these great positive relationships and, and productive conversation and outputs you know, flowing from themselves and, and their colleagues? Well, I think communication is the biggest key because without, you know, being in open communication, it's very hard to get anything done with a group of people. And through communication, you can work out anything, including moving somebody to another company. You know what I mean? So it's like if you withhold communications, things get tense. If you don't say things, you know, things get constrained. And pretty soon you're just not satisfied or fulfilled at work because there's a lack of flow of communication. So I think that would be the number one thing that I would say people should keep in front of them is, okay, what do I need to communicate? What has to, what do they need to communicate and actually be able to listen to employees or your employer or your team about what their vision is and what they need to fulfill on what they seem as matters to them. Because it's not just like a machine to get your vision completed. It's like, okay, now is this working for you? What's missing? What could we elevate? What will you need to put in so that things work better? And I do that weekly with my team. That's excellent. Well, could you give us another example or story to, to make it all come to life in terms of, of, hey, before this was going on, and then we, we communicated in this way, and then after, here's what happened. 
Well, I can tell you just in what I'm dealing with right now with my mother, my sister lives in a different state, so we don't see each other that much. And so we've been dealing with this sort of remotely, and I'm a little bit closer to it geographically. When my father would tell me, oh, you know, this is what's happening with her, I'd be like, what do you mean? And then I'd start reacting to what my father's telling me. Meanwhile, I'm not even talking to my sister. I'm talking to my father about his version of what she said. I mean, it was all discombobulated, right? And then I finally just got on the phone with my sister. I said, I need to know that we're on the same page here about what we're doing with mom, because it sounds like you want something else. And she's like, what do you mean? And I go, well, what do you want? Like, what is it that you want for mom? And she, then she told me, and that was completely different from what I was interpreting from what I was hearing her and my father talk about. And so then I said, okay, well, here's what I want. And then we said, okay, well, let's look at how we can accomplish this. And it became very, very similar what we wanted, but we were in a story that we wanted different things. She thought I wanted to take her out of this rehab center immediately. And I thought she wanted to leave her there for a month. So it was like just two ships passing in the night and not even, you know, making contact. So as soon as we got in communication and made it real in our conversation and found out what was going on for each person, then we could, you know, get in collaboration to accomplish what we're really committed to, which is my mother being well. That's all we both want. Right. And, and so the hang up there is rather than just going there in conversation, what do you want? What do I want? Is is just sort of like assumptions and, and, and stories that, that we're inventing about other people. Yeah. And most of our assumptions don't show up for us as assumptions. They show up for us as the truth. So we don't think we're assuming things. we're like, well, this is what they are. This is what they want. This is how they are. Rather than actually getting in communication to discover what somebody wants or who they are, you know, and what their dreams are or what their vision is or what their goals are. We assume, well, we know this is what they want. They don't have to tell us. So we, we know a lot, but knowing doesn't translate to being. And the work of Landmark is all about accessing being. Oh, cool. Thank you. Well, Jocelyn, tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and talk about some of your favorite things. Make sure you schedule a date night. Noted. Thank you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Well, now could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? Gandhi is, you know, that's one of my favorite quotes is be the change you wish to see. But um, Willy Wonka is my other favorite, <laughs> which is we are dreamer of dreams. You know, that is one of my favorite quotes. I love that movie. Thank you. And how about a favorite study or experiment or a bit of research? There's a book called Black Box Thinking, which is very powerful, which has people look at failures and look at what was missing rather than living in a story that they're a failure and able to then impact their performance and elevate their performance in an area. I think that's a very powerful way of looking at life. And how about a favorite habit? Taking a hot shower at the end of the day to complete the day and just kind of shut down. And so do you mean at the end of the day, like right before bed or at the end of the workday? Yeah, right before bed. All right. Thank you. And it actually physiologically shuts your body down and has it ready for sleep. And is there a particular nugget you share that really seems to connect and, and resonate with people and they, they quote it back to you? Yes. Yeah. Well, being unmessable with is sort of my little phrase that I've uh, coined and started a campaign around trying to get that in the dictionary. But that's people know me for being unmessable with and being a Barry Manilow fan. I know. I admit it. I'm not ashamed. So. Okay. Got it. And Jocelyn, if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? Landmarkworldwide.com is the website for Landmark. And there's tons of videos and articles. And, you know, I'm in many of them or, you know, the interview is conducted with them, but all of their forum leaders and uh, really powerful tools for people who are committed to living an extraordinary life. 
And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? Well, I would say don't wait till someday. There's no such thing. This is it. This is your life. And if you're not fulfilled and satisfied, take on living life now because it's not going to happen any other time. This is it. All right. Well, Jocelyn, thanks so much for this. This was a fun little uh, blast to the past for me and remembering some uh, some landmark goodness. And and I wish you and, and Landmark all, all the best in, in what you're up to. Thank you so much, Pete, and to you too. And again, treasure that family, but make sure you get a date night. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> okay. okay. All right. Thanks so much for the opportunity. I loved Jocelyn's take about being more interested in having things work than being right. It's funny, if you really look at yourself in the mirror and, and consider that question, am I more interested in having things work or or being right? I think the first instinct is, well, I, well, I am right. And if we do what I want, which is right, then things will work. You know, they're one and the same. But really, I think it's it's great to get a sense for, you know, how much of this is, is ego or pride at stake, and then how much so might other people be more into being right than, than having it work, and just getting really clear on, on what matters most in a given environment. So, so huge, so helpful. Uh, it was nice for Jocelyn to dust off that learning I, I picked up back when I did the, the Landmark Forum back in the day, which is a pretty interesting, pretty intense uh, program. You might want to take a gander at that. But anyway, if you want to take a look at the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we've referenced, it's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep331. And I hope to catch you next time. Peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.